Welcome to That Season Air podcast. I'm your host Gina. Stick with me as I chat to Season Airs, expats and adventurers across the world sharing their inspiring stories and interesting insights into living and working abroad. On today's show, I catch up with Season Air and sponsored rider Stu Innes. Stu runs us through his journey from living in France and China at a young age to his experiences of season life in Austria, Australia and France. So there were two of us sleeping on Rob's floor in this guest house. The lady came to like inspect the room when he was trying to check out. We were still in there and we were like hiding in the bathroom and he was like trying to keep the lady out of the guest house and <laughs> we ended up climbing out through the window. It was it was a very classic season air story and it was like i hadn't even been here two days and i was already sneaking into guest houses <laughs> tune in as Stu recounts his time living in his car and stick with us right to the end of the show to hear Stu's pandemic story including his advice on making an at-home rail setup if you enjoy the podcast and want to show your support for the show you are now able to buy me a coffee via the link in the show notes and without further ado here's the show Welcome to the show, Stu Innes. Hi, Gina. Thank you very much for having me on. Well, thanks for getting in touch with me for a start, yep. and thanks for agreeing to come on. Nice to finally meet you, because we've seen each other in passing many times, but never actually had a conversation um, and got lots of mutual friends and things like that. So yeah, nice to finally meet you. Thank you yep. for coming in. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from, and what's your current situation? I'm from Scotland, and I live in Meyerhofen now. And since Brexit, I think I'm now a full-time resident in Austria. Do you still consider yourself to be a seasonaire now you've got residency? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I guess like I'm still planning on going other places. I don't feel like I'm like settled here and never going to leave. Maybe I'll end up here down the line or maybe I'll end up elsewhere. Mm -hmm. But I definitely won't be not leaving. So I feel like I guess I'm still a seasoner. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really know what I'd call myself because I don't feel like since I've been a child, like I'd never had one place that has always been like home. Yeah. So I don't know. I'd never really drawn any distinction to, oh, I became a seasoner or I stopped being a seasoner. I'm just a person that lives in different places. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, tell us a little bit about your background because you said there you're originally from Scotland, but you moved around quite a bit when you were a kid as well. Is that right? Uh, yes. Yeah. So I was born in Scotland. My parents are both Scottish or my mum's like half English, but I was born there. And when we were three, my dad moved to Paris for work. Oh, wow. So me and mum moved with and we lived there for five years. And I went to like a half French, half American school. So we'd oh, have really? classes taught in some like maths for example was taught in french i think history was taught in english and it was kind of like there would be a teacher of that nationality and that class you had to speak in that language so my parents thought it would be a good idea that i learned french given we were going to live there yeah and they thought it'd be a wasted opportunity so they thought they'd send me to like a bilingual school what sort of age were you at this so point? that was from when i was three until when i was eight mm-hmm. and then dad moved to singapore so then we moved there in Singapore. I went to the British school. Right, okay. I think the Chinese might have been a little bit like, they've got like five national languages in Singapore, Chinese, Malay, Indian, English, and I've forgotten what the other one is, but I think it might have been a bit hectic. So they had like a British school there. So I went there. Oh, wow. 
Wow, that's so interesting. So you speak fluent French though as well? Maybe not quite fluent now, but definitely when we yeah. left, yeah. After Singapore, you went on to go back to Scotland, was it? Then I went back to Scotland for four more years. From there, I was at school. I started snowboarding when we moved back. And you'll notice there's a common theme in this interview that everything starts relating back to snowboarding. <laughs> um, so, yeah, basically when we moved back to Scotland, I started snowboarding. And when I was kind of going through career advice, etc. at school, I had kind of figured out if I was a snowboard instructor, I could live in the mountains, I could go snowboarding all the time, and I'd basically just get to like hang out with people. I like talking and seemed like quite a good job to me. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of told the school careers advisor that I wanted to be a snowboard instructor and I didn't want to go to uni. And right. he was kind of like, what? <laughs> like, So yeah, like because we lived overseas, my parents thought it'd be a good idea it'd be an easier transition for me to go to like a private school when we came back so I went to like a private school and like I quite liked school and did relatively well at school so I think he was kind of like what do you mean you're not going to uni like that's not really an option oh. and I was kind of a bit well that's what I want to do so the way the Scottish school system works is a little bit different to some other countries but mm-hmm. basically you can leave when you're 16, when you're 17, or when you're 18. If you do well the year you're 17, so you're like second last year at school, you can already have your place at uni. Okay. Which differs to the English system. So basically, there's loads of people in my class at school that were like still at school in this last year, but they'd already got their place at uni, so it seemed like a bit of a waste of time. So I just made a deal with my parents, like if I get my grades this year for my uni course I can have the year I would turn 18 like my last year at school I won't go to school Mm -hmm. and I'll go do a season and the deal was if I did that they'd kind of help facilitate me doing an instructor course so that I could kind of get myself started right okay so you got your grades up I take it yeah (laughs) (laughs) I I was motivated let's say Okay, so you got your grades up, and then what happened after that? So when I was 17, mm-hmm. I went on my first season. There's a guy, Ben Kinnear, he does a lot of the British team coaching now. He used to work for Basie, like the British snowboard instructing people, and he used to do some work at the dry slope, kind of coordinating stuff. And he's he's the person that was able to sell to my parents the sensibleness of me doing a course or whatever mm-hmm. and he'd advised this like gap instructor course that you went for two months before the season really started on the glacier in Sasfe in Switzerland and he would basically said if you go on that you'll already have a level one and two qualification before the winter you'll be able to get a job part-time for the winter and you'll then be able to ride a bit as well mm-hmm. so I set off at 17 and The first two months were fairly structured. We were staying in like a hotel. We had some of our food provided and I had training for this instructor course. That finished and I broke my wrist during that course. Oh no. Kind of with that and not having, you don't get the qualification obviously until the end of the course. So I hadn't managed to line up a job for the winter and I got a few friends from like the dry slope in Scotland that snowboarded or skied and had done 
seasons in Meyerhofen. So I'd heard of it and I had one of my friends was also coming to do a season, a guy called Rob Wilkinson. Rob had decided he was going to come to Meyerhofen. So I was like, sweet, the park's good in Meyerhofen. I know some people there. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to go to Meyerhofen and turn up in person at the ski schools and try and get a job. Right, okay. Because I was like, I don't have a job at any of the resorts, so I might as well go to the one that I'd most like to go to and I'm going to know people and hopefully it'll work out. Yeah, yeah. So you just turned up here and just went around the ski schools? Pretty much. I just went in and was like, sorry, I don't speak any German. I do speak French. <laughs> I'm, I've, I'd am i also got a freestyle instructing qualification before that. So I was like, I can teach freestyle and I've got level one and two and... I'm quite happy to just work when you guys are really busy and ride the rest of the time on the ski schools here in Meyerhofen, Meyerhofen 3000. Agreed to take me on. And then I went riding in Hinstruck for a bit until that was going to start. And I tore the ligaments in my shoulder. Oh, no. <laughs> so surprisingly, I lost my job given that I wasn't going to be able to be there for the busy yeah. bit at the start of the winter. But I then came back out and they did end up giving me a bit of work later in the season that year. And then I worked there the next year as well. Just going back a little bit, what was it that kind of got you into snowboarding in the first place? Because we've gone straight on to sort of Meyerhofen and being here. But like, how did that all come about? Okay, so basically it started off when we we're in France. In France, skiing's quite kind of part of the culture. And all the kids at school would come back in the February holidays with these étoiles de ski, which is like little stars for what level they were at the ski school. And I was like into rollerblading, like climbing on stuff and skiing looked awesome. Yeah. So I wanted to go. My parents don't ski or snowboard. Every year it was like, please, can we go on a skiing holiday? I feel like I'm missing out so much. And I was desperate to go skiing. And it didn't happen when we were in France. When we lived in Singapore, there was a school ski trip to Australia because that was like the closest place that was because it was open in the northern hemisphere summer and from Singapore it's not that far comparatively there was a like optional school ski trip there in the summer and my parents agreed given the whole how much I'd wanted to go for years when we lived in France they're like okay here's your opportunity to go skiing yeah. so I went skiing not snowboarding and it was awesome the last year we lived in Singapore I was got really into skateboarding I kind of got told I was coming by some friends that didn't really want to be there. And then I ended up being the one that got really into it. Oh, okay. So when we moved for, back from um, Singapore to Scotland when I was 13, skateboarding was very much important. And my mum kind of was looking for things for me to do in the summer. I didn't know anybody. I hadn't started at school, so I didn't have any friends. And she was like, what are we going to do with Stuart for the whole summer? Because I'm quite high energy. <laughs> and she was found out there was a dry slope on Aberdeen. And she was like, oh, do you want to go for some more skiing lessons there? You liked it in Australia. And by this point, I now knew about snowboarding. And I didn't know there was a such thing as freestyle skiing. I just knew that if I had a snowboard, it was like the good bits of skiing. But I could do tricks like with skateboarding. And I was like, this sounds really good. Can I go do that so she booked me in for like a week summer activity camp and we'd have three hours at the dry slope each morning oh wow and i was like this is awesome <laughs> so you were hooked from that point on <laughs> pretty much so i was very into it for maybe six seven months and then kind of winter passed and i was maybe a little bit 
less into it. I kind of didn't go as much. Mm -hmm. And then I came back, it would have been like Christmas 211, 212. And I went back one day and there was a different coach was taking the, it used to be the like Sunday club. It was called, it was like kind of for people who'd already finished the lessons program, they were just wanting to kind of get a little bit of advice, but not so much like having a lesson. So I used to go to that from time to time. And this guy called Nickel Payton was there and suddenly I was like, wow, I don't know. He made me see that I could do learn tricks. And like, he was like, he explained like you could learn a front flip because that was basically a cartwheel. And he just got, I kind of suddenly saw like, oh, the really good guys who are doing all this, there's a way to get to that. Yeah. And then I was there, like I was, mom, can I go to a dry slope? Mom, can I go to a dry slope? <laughs> and I was there maybe two, three times a week for the rest of that year. And then... I did the Duke of Edinburgh Awards thing at school and you had to have a volunteer placement or whatever. And I was like, I'll do my volunteering at the dry soap because if you work at the dry soap, you don't pay to ride. So I was like, this is my ticket in the door because I was 15, so I couldn't work. (laughs) Smart. And I was like, did the volunteering (laughs) thing. And then once I was 16 and I could actually have a job, I went to go see Mal, who was like the manager or whatever at the time. And I said, like, can I get a job? And he was like, yeah, come in for a job interview. But I already know you. You're here all the time. Basically told me I'd kind of already got the job. And this Mm -hmm. was kind of a lesson in life. I turned up for the interview literally directly from snowboarding one afternoon and hadn't really prepared because I, he basically told me it was a formality. And when I arrived, he was like, two other people have applied and it's really unfair on them if I just give it to you. Yeah, yeah. So you need to justify to me why you should get the job. And I just was like, well, I know all the customers. Like, I've already worked here, like, for free doing the Duke of Edinburgh thing. Like, I kind of know how to do the ski It was the ski hire job. I was like, I love snowboarding. And then he was like, asked me, like, do you know anything about the business? And I, like, obviously hadn't prepared. And then I just, from spending a lot of time there, and I had friends that worked there, I was like, oh yeah, the tubing parties make the most money and then the kids ski lessons and the public session make a loss. And he was looking at me like, what? Like, how do you know all this? I was like, I'm here like all the time. Like, <laughs> and anyway, I, I got the job. And <laughs> after that, I was there five days a week because right. I didn't need to pay. My parents, they're pretty much around the corner from the dry soap. I can cycle there in less than 10 minutes. And I was just always there until I went for the season two years later when i was 17 awesome so you got foot in the door and then straight out to the mountains <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> excellent yeah your first season in Meyerhofen. you got injured pretty early on did you twice stay- <laughs> oh yeah before christmas i managed to injure myself twice <laughs> <laughs> um so did you stay here for that period of time or did you go home and then come back out so the wrist one while i was doing the interrupt course i just stayed i kept doing the course it was the day before the exam Mm -hmm. and i turned up on the exam with a broken wrist but luckily that was the level one exam and it was like the riding wasn't too pushing it and i was probably more experienced than a lot of the people on the course at that time like and Mm -hmm. so much snow but the level one stuff was all right i could do it with the cast on and then the shoulder one was like right before Christmas. Mm-hmm. So 17, I was like, I'm going to go home, see my parents for Christmas. It's going to be easier to not go snowboarding if I'm not in a ski resort. <laughs> Crying my eyes out. All my <laughs> friends are going snowboarding on a pow day and like, 
Yeah. I got a sore shoulder. So I went home and I got some physio to help it out. And then I came back out and sometime in Jan- late January, I think. When you came out here the first time, did you have accommodation sorted or was that something that you just, what happened there? How did, how did, where did you live when you got uh, here? Right. So I got on a train from South Bay and this Rob who had booked like an Airbnb in this little Austrian guest house for a week so that he could find accommodation, having already looked online and not found anything. Oh, okay. And I basically just called him up. It's like, yo, I'm going to get on the train from SAS. Can I sleep on your floor for a few days as well while you <laughs> while we look for accommodation? And he was like, yeah, of course. And our other friend, Fraser, had also done the same thing. So there were two of us sleeping on Rob's floor in this guest house. There was like a the lady came to like, inspect the room when he was trying to check out we were still in there we were like hiding in the bathroom and he was like trying to keep the lady out of the guest house and <laughs> we ended up climbing out through the window it was it was a very classic season air story and it was like <laughs> a, like i hadn't even been here two days and i was already sneaking into guest houses and <laughs> we got away with it and we ran out of time so we got beds in the dorm at the guest off for a couple more nights and we realized we hadn't got any better options and we took the like season apartment there. Mm-hmm. But as it worked out, it was quite a good deal because it was like a four person apartment, but you used to pay per person. So we only had three of us there. It was me, Rob and his girlfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. I think we paid like 50 euros for the whole season more because there were three of us than four of us. They took the one bedroom in the season apartments there and I put a bed in the living room and then we kind of had our own space so I was third wheeling a little bit less and (laughs) that was my accommodation for the first season okay how was your first season did you enjoy it like was it more for you about the snowboarding okay so my first season I don't think we went to the bar at all I've never been a big drinking person I was also 17 and I was like having had parents that didn't ski or snowboard I was so hyped to be in a ski resort and able to go snowboard that season other than when i was injured i think i probably scanned my pass most days and i think i rode first lift last lift for probably 90 percent of those days wow and was just like i'm not interested i don't want to go party i just want to go snowboard yeah and not that much has changed (laughs) since then but um that year really we kept it very tame we'd have couple friends around occasionally and for food and stuff but no real partying like i spent that first season basically learning how to do what i could do on dry slope on snow it sounds kind of odd because it's harder to ride dry slope if you only grow up riding dry slope and you ride the same jump every time the conditions don't change you know that jump inside out all the features are quite small and you're very comfortable and you learn quite a lot of tricks quite quickly, but trying to adapt to changing weather and snow that's a different texture and the jumps a different shape the next day and stuff. Like I just had to learn how to ride my snowboard properly, yeah. not just do tricks on dry slope. And yeah, ride a load of powder. Yeah, I had a really fun time. Good, good. So after your first season in Meyerhofen, where did you go next? Okay, so I did one season in Meyerhofen. And the part about this deal with my parents that mm-hmm. you haven't heard yet is the deal was that year had to be substituted with the first year I was 18. Right. When 
technically my parents aren't really in charge of me anymore, but the deal was kind of go to uni for one year and try it. And the kind of theory was you'll have been, you'll be 18 then if you want to go socialize at uni, you won't be like the one in your group at uni that can't get in a bar mm-hmm. or whatever. So the theory was like, do the one season, try that, then go one year at uni, try that. And then I went to uni. I didn't like it. I, like I always liked school. I found it interesting and there was obviously parts I didn't like, yeah. but overall I liked going to school and uni it was less interactive you had to sit there you were kind of talked at and I just didn't want to be there my heart wasn't in it I knew it wasn't kind of my career path didn't require a degree what was it that you were studying I was studying international business management so that was kind of my school subjects I took like maths economics English French Spanish every language you could study at school other than German where I now live because <laughs> I was very smart like that. <laughs> I feel like we all were. I feel like everyone I know learned German in school and can't remember a word of it. But anyway. Yeah. So based off my kind of school subjects and I kind of figured, well, I want to have my own in- snowboard coaching or instructing business down the line. So I was like, that's an international business. It ties in with my school subjects. It's quite generic. So it leaves my options pretty open. Mm-hmm. I'll take that. So I took it and I, we got kind of halfway through the year and I went to Morzine for four weeks over Christmas, mm-hmm. stayed on French couch and I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life, yeah. not sitting at uni. <laughs> and so I came back and I said to my parents, I was like, this is not working. I will finish the year out. But I'm gone, like, I'm going back to doing seasons. This isn't a discussion. Because it kind of always been, they kind of advised me. And I kind of convinced myself of their point of view. I kind of saw the point of like, oh, it's a good backup option. And then I was like, right, I can get any deferral from uni. So when I left, my I'd like passed my first year. So if I ever go back, I go back into second year. So I'm not like completely optionless. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I'd way rather, if I do go back, go back knowing what I want to study, why I want to study that and actually get something out of it instead of like I used to turn up at uni in Salopets because the uni's also right next to the dry slope. <laughs> and I used to like go snowboarding, go to a lecture, go back, teach a snowboard lesson at the dry slope, go back to my next lecture. And I'd like turn up at uni in Salopets. Like my heart wasn't in it. Yeah. Especially after you've done your first season as well. It must've been really odd to be back in Scotland and then having to go back into education. Yeah, I, I didn't want to be there. Yeah. And I don't know, it wasn't a bad year. Like I did all the university snowboard comps and then through that, they kind of paid for me to go snowboard overseas for a bit. And oh, do really? Some, yeah, they have like uni snowboard yeah. champs and they have like dry soap ones and I like won all the dry soap ones. And then the uni were basically like, we'll pay for you to go to the ones on snow. So I did that, went, stayed in Morzine for four weeks and then another like week and a half later in the season so I did a, and I was like coaching for the, the dry slope have a snowboard club mm-hmm. from like Aberdeen the town I'm from and they used to do like trips to the mountains so I was like taking the like younger kids up to the mountains so I did a lot of snowboarding I was working pretty much full-time at the dry slope teaching as well so I didn't have a bad year I like got a lot of kind of basic snowboard instructing experience and Went snowboarding quite a lot myself. I didn't have a bad year, but I was just like, there's more to life than me being here. Like, 
my talents or whatever are being wasted here because I'm doing something that I'm not into. So the end of that year, I was supposed to have a wrist operation based on the original wrist injury the first season. Mm -hmm. And I turned up for the pre-op and basically it was eventually decided I wasn't going to get the thing. They kind of figured I didn't have to get it and my wrist wasn't causing me any problems. So super last minute, I'd met these two guys, Joe and Jake Simpson, when I was in Moisin. And they were going to go to Ladies Up to the glacier for the summer. So I was done at uni and I was like, let's go summer season. <laughs> so I like super last minute, like called them up. We're like, let's make it happen. And they were like, we're just going to get the cheapest apartment we can get. None of us are going to work. We're going to do two months. We'll buy a season pass and we'll go snowboard all day, every day. <laughs> and I was like, this sounds awesome. So we got this, I think seven or eight person apartment, but it had one bedroom. The one bedroom was also the living room, the kitchen. There was a bathroom and one other room. And there were seven or eight of us. Anyway, there were seven or eight of us um, in this apartment, in this one room. Yeah. But it was probably the funnest two months I've ever had. Because everyone had to wake up at the same time. We'd go up snowboarding. They'd close the park. For people who haven't ridden European glaciers, they tend to close at like one o'clock. Mm -hmm. But we kind of got friendly with the guys who are the park shapers and were like, when the lift turns off, can we hike the rails that you guys aren't shaping? If you need to shape it, we'll just move down the park to the next rail. And we'd hike every day for an hour or two. And for those, like, if you hike, you learn tricks. It's yeah. just, you've walked up. You're not going to, like, pussy out of your trick. You're <laughs> motivated. Somebody's always going to be chilling because it's tiring. So somebody was always filming. And we did, like, a, well, I say we. Joe and Jake, like, really killed it. They did, like, a really good video. They filmed everything, edited it, and we ran, like, a little series of like webisodes from the summer called last off there because we were always the last ones off oh, cool. um then we'd come back and then we'd go like chill slack line or whatever and it was just like really community oriented because we didn't have a choice because we all lived in one room yeah it was sick yeah. and then went back to Meyerhofen the next year in october i knew about the tyrol pass by now so i was like i can go ride hinterstooks a bit at the start of the season mm -hmm. And I'd applied to be a park shaper. Mm -hmm. I figured out that the shapers could snowboard most of the day. I was like, I like teaching, but I was like, I also want to snowboard a lot. And I was yeah. like, this might work out well. And I was like, I'll do that at the start of the season. And there was a hullabaloo. I got offered the job, then they rescinded the offer. And then they eventually did give me the job. So I went out, I think I rode for like a week. And then I started shaping there. And then... Winter came round, and then that winter I did a bit of work for the ski school in Meyerhofen, mm -hmm. kind of when they were busy. Basically did, again, a lot of snowboarding myself. Then summer came back round, and I went back to the dry slope for a bit. Mm -hmm. And I, like, I feel like I've got to say a huge thank you to the Aberdeen dry slope, because firstly, if it weren't for the Aberdeen dry slope, I would never have started snowboarding. Mm -hmm. But also every summer... To this day, like even this summer, I was back for 10 days. I walked in the door and they went, do you want shifts before I'd finished getting through the door? <laughs> and like, they always just, I don't always have priority when I come back because there's been people there all winter and they're busier in winter than in the summer. But they'll always, I kept on the books and I always have a job there when I'm back. Wow. It might not start as a lot, 
But once I'm back, I'm always there riding if I'm not working. And then yeah. stuff comes up like, oh, can somebody cover this? And basically the Aberdeen dry soap, like I could always go back. They'd always have work for me. And my parents live around the corner. So so it was there for the start of the summer. I then went back to Les Desalt for what was supposed to be the whole season. And I decided I was going to live in my car. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because Teresa mentioned this in her podcast. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> she thought you were crazy at this point. <laughs> yes. I just figured out and I tested it the year before for like day or a couple day trips places. If you fold down the seats in your car, you can put a single mattress in. If you've got a mattress in your car, you've got a place to sleep. You're sorted. It's not, <laughs> I hate sleeping in tents. Right. But if you're in a car, it's waterproof. You've got a dry place to put your stuff. If it really gets cold, you can turn up the heating and then for a few minutes and then turn the car back off. So I was like, it's not going to be cold in the summer and does up. Went out and I was like, I'm kind of bit broke i'll just stay in my car because it's free season wasn't that good that year with the snow wasn't as good as it had been the year before like glacier season skiing can be kind of hit or miss there was like crevasse everywhere four weeks in i was i guess over living in my car over riding a park that was not in good shape with the snow mm -hmm. and i just went to lip pass off so i was like you guys saw me a summer season pass for 10 weeks and we're at week four and there's not even snow on the lift track and somehow, I don't know if it's because I spoke to them in French or what, but they gave me back. They basically, I only paid for the days I'd skied, oh, right. which was actually really good of them. I was very surprised. And anyway, so I went home, worked at the dry soap a bit more, rode at the dry soap, which was a lot more fun than the glacier that had no snow on. <laughs> um, so after your second season in France, what was next for you? So I then had contacted Phil Blank, who... Everyone's nominated him. He's got to come on the show. Oh, yeah. Um, so Phil runs Canadian instructor course, like gap course. It's kind of similar to the course I'd gone on when I was 17 mm -hmm. um, in my half in. And I contacted him like having now got my, I got my level three snowboard instructor course at the end of the season in Hinchdicks. Right. The winter before. I'd said to Phil, like, if you ever wanted to do a Basie, like British snowboard instructor qualification equivalent. I've now got a level three. I'd love to work for you. And he was like, I'll keep it in mind. And then one of the guys who was going to do his Canadian course got injured and couldn't come at the last minute. And Phil right. knew me a little bit from my off. And, and he was like, I know you, Stu, you'll be good at this. You really care about snowboarding. You've got a level three. It's not a Canadian one, but I can brush you up on the like technical differences between the systems but they're pretty similar anyway mm -hmm. so i ended up working for phil that year doing these courses to get people ready to sit their instructor qualifications his courses are split like there's a course like pre-season like november early december and then there's another one for kind of most of february and a bit of half of march so i did that and then the time in between i had as my own snowboard time at the start and the end of the season i was shaping an end again Nice. So I got like, a, again, I get this, in Tyrol, you get this like eight and a half month season, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Um, did you train anyone that has been on the show? Lara. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> um, Lara Parsons, episode two, check that one out. I think that's it from on the show. 
There's a few that you'll know. That, that, uh, Christian and Finn ah, and stuff have all been yeah. students of mine, apparently. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, so I did that season doing that. At the end of that season, I went back to a dry soap again, did a month or two's work at the dry soap, and I'd figured out that I'd always wanted to go to Australia for their season. They'd got a really good puck, and I was like, I'll just go for their spring yeah. and not work, and I'll kind of see what the – deal is i kind of always got the view maybe i'll go teach there at some point mm-hmm. but i was like let's go check it out and go snowboard i went there in august and i figured out you could get camper van hire that was really cheap it was like a grand for two months in like euros okay it didn't have any power <laughs> so it wasn't great it was a slight upgrade from the car yeah. And they had a free campsite with no facilities, but there was a place that I wasn't going to get kicked out of because yeah. that's one of the big things. I feel like all the van lifers and stuff we've been on have kind of brushed this under the table. But for me, like the biggest issue of living in your car or van lifing is that you can't relax because you're constantly worried about whether you're going to get kicked out, get a fine for being there. John, like my housemate, John doesn't worry about these John things. John Marion. Yeah. <laughs> Like, John doesn't worry about these things. John's just like, it will be fine. And I (laughs) wish I could be like that because whether I worry about it or not, I'm in the same situation. But I worry, so it stresses me out. But there was a free place I definitely could park. And I got a few friends there who were really nice and offered me showers and places to do my laundry. So I did two months in the van there without any heating. Had its problems. I woke up one day with like the van snowed in in the car park and I hadn't bought the snow chains or anything. I had to walk to the lift. But... (laughs) <laughs> I went snowboarding for two months. It was amazing. Yeah. And I also kind of got the lie of the land. I ended up with a friend that happened to work at the ski school who kind of explained that they'd got this thing called the Perisher Winter Sports Club, which is this program for kids who either go to local boarding school or are homeschooled and they snowboard five days a week and they have a park group for this. And I was like, that is literally my dream job. I get to teach people in the park, which is where I'm most interested. And I get the same kids the whole time. So I get to know them and I actually get to watch them progress over the whole season. And I was like, I need to find a way to get that job. And I guess I kind of played it well because I like, I emailed them while I was still there the year before and was like, this is who I am. This is my experience. I've like done all this coaching at the dry slope over the years. So I've kind of worked with athletes over a prolonged period of time. Mm -hmm. I've done this instructor course training for Phil I think I'd be really good. Would you guys consider hiring me? I got lucky as well. Somebody left that year who was like the lead freestyle coach for it. Right. So I basically just walked into the perfect job for me. So I went the next summer, I went back and worked for them. And then the winter in between, I did one more winter in Meyerhofen, again, working for Phil. And I spent the time I wasn't working for Phil in Absolute Park which is also in Austria, just because I wanted to check somewhere else. I'd been in Meyerhofen all the time. And I was like, let's see what I'm missing or not missing elsewhere. Yeah. Where is Absolute Park? Uh, it's in, it's like next to Flacco. So it's kind of Salzburg area. It's two and a half hour drive from Meyerhofen. And did you do the season there or? Sort of. So like, I don't know. I lived at Phil's for pre-season when I did his like pre-season course mm-hmm. i then had a room for the season absolute and i rented it out to somebody i knew right for a month and a half when i came back and did phil's spring course and then i also went to finland and estonia that year for like 
eight days and eight, six days or something to film a street snowboard video part. Okay. <laughs> um, so I was kind of a bit all over the place. There. Yeah. yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, okay. So firstly, top advice, do not drive <laughs> on your own from Austria to Finland in the middle of a snowstorm. It takes three <laughs> days and I skidded out on the motorway and almost died. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It was like the only time I really feared for my life. Yeah. And yeah, it was, it was horrible. Yeah, sounds awful. The rest of the trip was really good. We filmed some street stuff and it's kind of, I don't know, like I grew up, I was always into rails, the dry slope. I've become more into jumps these days, but as a rail snowboarder, like a street video part is, that's the be it and end all. Like mm -hmm. that's what you watch and you're inspired by. And it's kind of also like, I don't know, like a proving ground. Like that's where you can show what you can or can't do and, I was really stoked to go do it. As always with filming stuff, you always wish you could have filmed more or could film stuff cleaner, but mm -hmm. I was really happy to go do it. And it was a really good experience. The boys I was in Finland with were like John Wedley and stuff like they're all super, super nice. Yeah. Had a really good time. We just hung out in the van, chatted nonsense, snowboarded <laughs> and it was really good. Yeah. How did you get into that? How, how did that come about? So the Estonian part of the trip, I drove and one of my Scottish friends, a guy called Andy Budge, flew and met me there. And I have an Estonian friend called Ken Polo, who you should maybe get on the podcast, actually. Okay. He's a shaper. He lives in Austria now. He's from Estonia. But he couldn't come because he'd got to shape the park. But he very kindly gave me Google Maps addresses for all of these rails. His mum had a friend who had an Airbnb who hooked us up with like an awesome place to stay. And he basically just organized our trip and me and andy just filmed ourselves and kind of made it work in contrast to the next week i then met up with a bunch of people who'd done it a bit before and this guy john weatherly another one who you should get on the show um, <laughs> he runs a thing called baby trap which is like a kids coaching thing in they're based in the uk they do trips to absolute park but basically he He's a snowboard instructor, a snowboard coach. He's super hyped on just getting more people into it and getting people stoked on having fun as opposed to like the Olympic pathway and doing everything very seriously. He's like, we're going to turn up at the spot with some donuts and <laughs> have a good time and mess about. We're going to do silly tricks that are fun. I know he encompasses a lot of what I think is really awesome in snowboarding. And he had done, he's been filming street for years so mm -hmm. he knew what he was doing and he was kind of our chaperone like he's not older but he's done quite a few trips and he was less there to film banger clips himself he was kind of paying back to the snowboard community by helping us out right. and he spent a lot of time filming me shoveling and like really like huge thanks and i don't smoke weed which is unusual amongst a lot of seasoners <laughs> and I was repetitively, are you sure you don't want to split? I'd fall over and I'd be like lying there, evidently in pain. And it kind of was like, a, he was just a banter guy. He was just winding me up all trip, but like in the best way, supporting yeah. me. So he really organized the Finland trip. And it was interesting that the Finland part of that trip compared to the Estonia trip, it's so much easier to film street with a big crew of people who know, kind of know what they're doing. We had a proper filmer there. It was a lot easier mm -hmm. than the first 
the Estonia part of the trip, even though we'd got Ken and sorted of spots and everything, like with two of you, you're filming each other. You've got to shovel all the spots to you. It's harder to get clips. Yeah. After Estonia and Finland and doing the filming out there, where did that lead you? So I went back to Meyerhoff and finished the season there, mm-hmm. did the spring coaching fill, and then went back to a dry slope as always. <laughs> Thanks for having me. And then I went to Australia. And as I said, I did the van life thing the year before and I pre-sorted out this coaching job. And I went to Australia and coached for the Winner Sports Club there. Yeah. So this was your dream job. Yeah. Did it live up to the expectations? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, I know I like, I really like snowboarding myself and I always, you'll see in this as we go on, like <laughs> it's always a juggling thing for me between go snowboarding myself coach, which I really like. And obviously you have to have a job. So for me, it was like the perfect job because I was like, if you got the people for a length of time, it almost feels like you're learning tricks yourself when they learn a trick. So basically, yeah, that was awesome. Kids I had were really nice. Like I'm still in contact with some of them. And then I went to New Zealand for a week at the end of that season. Oh, okay. Um, Basically like through the Australian team, some of the kids I'd been coaching, etc. There was an opportunity to go do like a like ten day trip to New Zealand with some of the kids, and we went there. We did some training on. They've got like a downhill airbag oh, wow. at the resort at Cardrona, and then I went directly back to Austria afterwards. Ah, okay, and because the season was then starting again in Austria. So you came back to Meyerhofen after Australia. And what was the plan then? Saved up. The good thing with the job in Australia was, and I was saying like, it's always kind of a juggling thing with mm-hmm. going to try myself versus doing a job that I really like that's rewarding or doing a job that I can have time to snowboard. Like I worked in Apro ski a bit and you get a lot of time to snowboard because I work from four till seven. Then the coaching thing, I love coaching. So it's always kind of a juggling thing. But the cool thing with the Australian coaching job is I don't give up my own European winter. So it's like a summer job, but it's doing what I like. Mm -hmm. So I like saved up a bit of money. I was working quite a lot there and my pay was relatively good. And as we've discussed, I'm not really a party person. So I don't have to spend money on drinking. I don't really spend very much money. I can kind of get by on quite a little. So the plan was that season... I was going to basically snowboard as much as possible. Yeah. Like, I do a tiny bit of work here and there, but basically I was going to bum it. Yeah. <laughs> and I got injured. So, oh God, here we go. <laughs> yeah. like, they, these are the only times I've got injured. I'm not, like, sounds weird. I'm not even that bad at getting injured. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so basically. Touch wood, please. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. <laughs> basically, there's an event in Holland just called Rocker Rail, which is something I'd always wanted to go to. About three years before this, I actually drove from Austria to Holland, slept in the car to go compete at an event to try qualify for it. I didn't make it. I then watched Rockwell live and then wanted to go even more than I'd wanted to go beforehand. Yeah. I finally had got a place to ride at Rockwell. So they again had a qualifier and I was... Faffing about, like, should I go? Because I was bummed the year I drove all the way there and didn't make it. Yeah. How do you qualify? They run like a qualifying event in the snow, one of the snow domes normally. Right. A, like two days before they do like a last chance to win an invite. And 
I was kind of mming and ahhing because I was like, I know I'm good enough, but I'm not the most consistent person. I was like, I could ride bad at this qualification and not make it, or somebody mm-hmm. else could ride really good. Like, you don't even know who's going to be at the qualification. And I was mming and ahhing, and my friend Yako, who's kind of works as part of the organizing at Rockerell now, was like, Stu, you need to come. Like, stop being an idiot. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, maybe, maybe. And I ran into Phil in the hardware store here. And Phil was going to watch. And Phil was like, what do you mean you're not good? <laughs> like, Stu, sort yourself out. Get in the car and go qualify. And I was like, okay. Like, it was really nice. Like, I had two different people support yeah. me. And when you're kind of mingling about whether you should do something and you're maybe not competent enough, Anyway, they convinced me to go and it worked out and I won. Mm-hmm. The, so I had my spot for and could ride at yeah. Rock Rail. So yeah, I managed to make it to Rock Rail and then I think first hit of qualification, like practice went well, first hit of qualification, I died. Like, oh no. tried to do one of these rail transfers where you jump from one rail to the other rail and I didn't push off the first rail, didn't even make it to second one. Like, kind of, I saved it and then hung up in the stairs. My board got caught under one of the rails and I got, I think to this day, we still don't really know what happened. I think I got a corner of a stair between two vertebrae. Oh my God. Went to, rode the rest of the comp, kind of in a bit of pain, didn't make finals and then went and partied and I don't party much. And Oh no. Caitlin had to look after me. Um, I got rather too drunk that night. Shout out to Caitlin Murray. Yeah, shout out Caitlin Murray for that night. That was the night me and Caitlin became friends. We weren't necessarily particularly good friends and I came back to the dorm and for some reason they put me in the girls' dorm. I think because I got the last space because I'd like got the wildcard qualification. I ended up in the girls' dorm and came back and spewed over and Caitlin dealt with it. Um, But basically... I got really drunk that night and I don't think that was probably the most conducive thing to somebody who just got injured. Yeah. I then, we drove back with a friend back to Meyerhofen and I had a couple of days off and the next weekend was Jib King, which is like the big rail jam and absolute park. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, I just won't fall on my back and it'll be fine. Oh, I God. didn't fall on my back, got third, maybe got fourth. Yeah. Yeah. Got third or fourth. Yeah, got third or fourth. And then woke up next morning and I was like, no, my back is not okay. Went to the hospital in Schwartz and they were like, oh, it's fine. It's just really badly bruised. Two, three weeks later, still really badly bruised. Oh, no. And then I was like kind of riding a bit. and I, I fell a couple times on it, but nothing bad. And it just wasn't getting better. It wasn't getting better. It wasn't getting better. And then Corona. Ah, okay. So yeah, tell us all about your pandemic experience. So I was in Meyerhofen, everything kind of kicked off, started as a bit of a joke, like, oh, we're not going to get that here. And then it was like, oh, there's some corona in Innsbruck. And then it was like the people who had jobs, because I was in the unemployed crew at this, actually, I think I was technically working at the Apre Ski, but the people who had like legit jobs with the resort and stuff got texts, like, I can't remember, Thursday or Friday, like resorts closing on Sunday. This shows how badly I misjudged how long Corona was going to last. The main deciding factor on me choosing to leave was I wanted to go to Australia that summer. Okay. Three years later, I still haven't got there. <laughs> but I was like, I want to go back for my 
to go do my dream job again in Australia. And I was like, at the moment, the UK's not in lockdown. I was like, I'll go there. And I was also like, if things really hit the fan and things are closed and you can't work, I'd rather be in the UK living at mum and dad's for free. Mm-hmm. Like my parents are really nice. I can, or I've like got a bedroom at theirs and they let me come stay whenever I want. So I was like, I'd rather go back. Yeah. So me and Rob, who was my roommate at the time, we were staying at Hunger Pain. Another one. You're not allowed on the podcast if you haven't stayed at Hunger Pain. <laughs> me and Rob like packed up our room and we're like, we're getting out of here. And I like pushed Rob. We were leaving on Saturday, not on Sunday, because I didn't want to wait in case the border got closed and we yeah. then got stuck. So went back to Scotland and I kind of had a feeling, I was like, if anybody in Meyerhofen's going to have it, the way that illness, like normal colds pass in a ski resort, I was like, if anybody's got it, we all have it. Yeah. And this is before we knew anybody had it. And I got home and I was like, said to my parents on the phone, like, I'm going to come in. I'm going to go straight up to my bedroom and bring all my stuff with me. I can entirely self-contain if they bring me food and I can wash the dishes and give them back to them. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm going to stay in my room for a few days, just in case. A few days went on, found out a few friends have got corona. People who work in the bars in town have got corona. I was like, if I don't have corona, I will be astounded. So I like, Tom <laughs> Pan's like, I'm definitely going to do a full 14-day quarantine. And then like day eight, and I'm still... No symptoms. I was like, I'm all good. And then it hit me. And then I got really, really. Oh, really? Yeah. So took, eight days in, no symptoms. Least, yeah, it was like eight days at least, maybe nine. It was like getting close to like the point that you deemed you'd be fine. Yeah. And then it hit me. Oh, I was like in bed. Like it was the week of X Games Real Snow, which is like the street mail compass thing that you vote online. And the only thing I did that week was vote. I like would wake up, I'd vote and I'd pretty much fall back asleep. Like I was out of it. Mum was really worried. She called like these two guys in hazmat suits came to check me out. Anyway, eventually got better from my corona. And then my back was still not great, but it was getting better. And I used to, back in the early, me starting to work at the dry slope kind of era, mm-hmm. I used to have a little garden snowboard set up. I'd seen this thing on YouTube. Right. This, like basically... If you get like a little, like little homemade wooden ramp and you get some AstroTurf from like B&Q, you put some fairy liquid and water on it and you've got like a little PVC rail or tube, you can learn rail tricks at really low speed. All right, so I had this years ago when I was a kid and oh, cool. before I worked at the dry slope and I learned most of my rail tricks to this day on said setup. And <laughs> I'd hide the snowboard coach for me has to say this guy's get a garden AstroTurf set up. It's the easiest way to learn all the basic tricks because it's so you're going so slow. You've got time to process it. You're not scared. You're in your own garden. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I was like to my parents who chucked the garden set up out when I left to do seasons. I'm like, thank goodness we're gone with this stupid stuff in the garden. <laughs> I was like, well, if we're in lockdown, I haven't snowboarded much this year because of my back. I can kind of ease into snowboarding. My, yeah. doing this gun thing so my dad took me to go get some pallets and i did like a click and collect being q order for the rest of the stuff that i needed and set up this little gun thing and i'll you there's some videos you can yeah put, put that on the it. instagram yeah um but yeah basically i was snowboarding in my garden on my own and it was pretty funny i convinced some of my friends in like in other countries to build them <laughs> and like we were playing like skate via instagram like video chat and <laughs> 
I was also the only like one of the only people who had snowboard content at that period because no one in the world had snowboard. So all my sponsors stoked. They're like, you've got content. No one's got it. Like, <laughs> like I was like thriving. <laughs> I was loving life. That's awesome. I got a job at B and Q that summer because the dry slope was closed even when lockdown kind of lifted. Worked at B and Q, made a bit of money, and then came back to Meyerhofen with Rob the next season. Mm-hmm. Lived hunger pain again kind of crazy like october was kind of normal then went into full lockdown for november and december yeah and then ski resorts opened on christmas in the middle of that i had a interesting pandemic trip went on holiday for three days right to ukraine okay so basically there's this rail contest had started up called double triple mm-hmm. and Basically, it's a similar idea to rock a rail. It's like a street rail snowboard competition, but they'd also got like a little jump section. And we, ca- I managed to get an invite to this thing. And they were like, yeah, we can get you all this legit paperwork that you- this is a business trip. Mm-hmm. You're like a pro athlete coming to a competition. Yeah. So we went to this thing and it was loose. Really? That's the only word for it. Like, it was chaos. Like, all these street rail snowboarders, they started off kind of trying to be organized about stuff. <laughs> And then they quite quickly realized, like, the people who are excelling at this, who we've invited, are good at this because the sport we do is riding, street rail snowboarding is riding things you're not supposed to snowboard on. Yeah. So the people who are good at that don't like being told what to do. They don't follow rules. They were, like, they built this crazy setup and everyone was, like, trying to ride the side of the setup and stuff. And they were like, what is going on? And we were like, <laughs> this is why you've invited, like, guys like Sparanox and stuff. They're so entertaining. And they causing chaos not doing what they told them like the ski heat was on sparrows they're like hitting the jump and then we're all like this is what this event should be yeah anyway, so really crazy i actually did all right at the jump section rail section was fun basically yeah we just had this like random three-day trip in the middle of a pandemic where we like i didn't really party too much but basically the whole thing was like a festival oh god uh, it's definitely not corona inducive. And I, I didn't have corona. I got tested when I came back just in case I thought I'd like, do my yeah. part. But a few people had corona. Good citizen part, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we came back from that. And then by the time we got back from that, the resorts were pretty much open in Austria. So anybody who lived in Austria and had a Hauptwohnsitz, like a main address in Austria, mm-hmm. um, because Brexit coming up, I got one of those. So we were all good, <laughs> didn't get kicked out. And we went snowboarding in like a private ski resort for the whole winter and it was awesome it really was we were very lucky yeah, i'm sorry <laughs> but sorry not sorry <laughs> um so you mentioned there as well that you were sponsored i didn't yep. know that we didn't we haven't discussed this yet do you want to tell us about your sponsorship when did you get sponsored and who are you sponsored by first i started running for the snowboard shop in my local town which are no longer open but this was like back me starting to work at the dry slope kind of thing i mm-hmm. sent them a emails you do as you're like 15 year old kid you learn some tricks and you're like i'm gonna hit up the local snowboard store and be like have you seen this video of me doing some tricks and <laughs> said video still exists and i'm very painful <laughs> it's painful um but basically we'll have to get a copy of that for um, the instagram i don't know about that <laughs> there's some better content <laughs> but basically I'd like sent them this email, like with a little some tricks, and they'd put me on. And then I, over the years, I kind of got some new sponsors, and they now closed down, and I now ride for 
the snowboard asylum who's like one of the big uk mm-hmm. snowboard shops to do online stuff etc i ride for slash snowboards which is giggy roughs um okay. own snowboard company i ride for a company called bro clothing so the story with that one is nick the guy who runs it used to sponsor joe and jake who i lived with in later south he used to just when we were doing these video series he sent a box to our house like I mean, like a box. And was like, <laughs> if anybody who kind of shreds in your group wants stuff, take stuff from the box. And then I kind of got in contact and he then like sponsored me from then on. I think Bro is the company that I've ridden for the longest of all the companies. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I get like Binding Street Union. Um, there's a Google company baked that one of my friends started up. So I get goggles through them. I recently started running for Check the Feed, just like an American company. They have a big Instagram page, but mm-hmm. they also have a website. Basically, they promote like rail snowboarding predominantly. And it's all about like people who Johnny the Go runs it thinks are doing something sick rather than necessarily a lot of the magazines and stuff like to promote stuff from brands that pay them. Mm-hmm. And it results in a situation which well, that one in sound really negative is like the cool kids get promoted and then the cool kids do kind of easy tricks in the right clothes. And that's a lot of what gets promoted. And that sounds like there's so many people are getting promoted on snowboard magazines doing the awesomest stuff. But there's also a lot of like, it's quite a closed shop and it's very like image orientated. Mm-hmm. And if you're kind of not known, it's quite hard to even get yeah. your foot in the door. What Johnny Richard feed does is like, if you, your friend badly films on their iPhone, you doing like a crazy hard trick. That's an avenue on Instagram for you to get seen by other people. Yeah. I had stuff posted by them for years and I ended up speaking to Johnny during the pandemic. Like we had a Zoom call about the whole getting tested to go up the hill last year. Yeah. And he was like, oh, do you want to ride for us? I need another European rider. It's like a brand that I think it's really cool what they're doing. Awesome. So yeah, like, most of those companies, I just get like stuff through them, and occasionally, like if I'm into a rail event or something, they'll help me out. But it's not like I'm not like some person I order. I don't get paid. I just get some gear, and yeah, I post stuff on Instagram. In exchange, they get some promotion, and it works out for me. <laughs> That's pretty nice. Yeah, sounds like a nice deal. So since, uh, well, the pandemic is still currently in effect. <laughs> um, it's been a while now. But what have you been up to recently? I've stayed in Austria. I actually went back to shaping in Hinchtooks after a few years off. Brexit was coming up. I went for my appointment with my main address and everything, and it was brought up to me that I didn't have a job. And I brought up the fact, well, there's a pandemic going on. And basically the lady at the visa office in Schwarz said, I need a job. And I basically need to stay here this summer to prove my kind of commitment to being in Austria. So I shaped in Hinchtooks again for the spring. They needed a shaper and I hadn't done it for a few years. I was like shaping. You got some time to snowboard. I was like, sweet, do that. Then got offered a kind of random gig to go to Moltala, which is another glacier in Austria. Okay. They don't normally have a park, so they're not so much on the radar. Okay. But it's really close to where Anagasa lives. Mm-hmm. And so her and Clements and Austrian team had kind of organized this private training camp from like a month. They knew I wanted to snowboard this summer <laughs> and that I knew how to shape. They were like, we'll sort you out with the place to stay. You can come help shape the park. I got a little bit of money. 
yeah. it wasn't like a full job. So I I did that for a month, basically just went and shaped in exchange for getting to ride. And that was just an opportunity to stay snowboarding, stay in Austria. And then I worked for the rest of the summer. I've been working at a cafe at Schlegeis, doing a bit of everything, mm-hmm. serving, collecting stuff and yeah, save, saving up for winter. <laughs> nice. Is that you till now? Yeah, that's very much me till now. Like we've had about a month of the season. So I finished in the cafe last month and been a couple of glacier openings and just snowboarding at the glaciers. Nice. Awesome. Well, that's your <laughs> the very long-winded story of how we it's got not, to now. No, that's about right. It's about normal. I to feel be like it's really long, especially given I'm 24. Yeah, you have done a lot for someone so young, actually. That's the thing. Like people always talk about doing seasons, and it's like I normally do at least two seasons in a year. Like I'll do a summer season and a winter season. Yeah. So it ends up it's like almost like doubles the amount of time. I'm going to move on now to a bunch of questions that I ask everyone some of them we might have already answered but we'll see anyway we'll just go through them and see what happens so you mentioned that you'd been to australia did you need any visa yeah so again i got quite lucky there because i'd kind of already got a level three snowboard instructing qualification and i was going in to do this like kind of more specialist job they got me a sponsored visa so i didn't really have to do anything Oh, okay it doesn't even count as me using up my working holiday visa really and then the first year i went because i didn't work i didn't use it okay so i've still got a working holiday visa in the bag just in case i ever need one the advice is that if you get your qualifications they will give you a sponsored visa for the instructing job mm-hmm. so if you go for anything that demonstrates a skill and you've got some kind of diploma the company you're working for can get you a sponsored visa. That's amazing. And if not, the, you can get two years worth of working holiday visas anyway. Mm-hmm. Throughout your season air history, what has been your best job and your worst job? Best job, definitely being a snowboard coach. I love snowboarding and talking. And if I can help people get better at snowboarding, I think that's awesome. I also feel like there's so many people over the years both people who are actual snowball coaches but also just friends or people i've met like so many people over the years have spent so many hours helping me to learn new tricks or even just give me advice about how to get a job or how to do this and i feel like with coaching snowboarding it's like my chance to kind of give back and like help other people get better at snowboarding and mm-hmm. feel like over the years i spent a lot of time thinking about snowboarding and snowboarding and stuff. So I feel like I have something to offer and it's nice to do a job where you feel like you're good at your job. Yeah. And your worst job? Worst job. And ironically, I'm actually going to do this job again this year. Do you want to admit to it before you say it? Okay. All right. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, and it's best job and worst job in a way. I'm going to work at the one at Brayskis collecting glasses. Okay. And I say worst job because... I don't really particularly like Apreski music. It's busy. My job is to only work when they're absolutely heaving that glasses are getting broken. That's my job. Mm-hmm. But it starts at between three or four o'clock. Basically, the deal with the bus is I come in on my way home from snowboarding. And if it's busy, I work until it's like not completely heaving. Right. And it's a good job because I, my whole, I still get my evening. I still get my whole day to snowboard. But it's a little bit of money. It's just enough to pay rent and food. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
not like that interesting or whatever, but it works. And if you're there for a few hours, you just get into it. You're like, I'm going to embrace that, brace key music. I'm <laughs> yeah. going to pick up as many glasses as I can as fast as I can. You just get into it. Yeah. And it's like, not that bad. I like, I feel privileged that that's the worst job I've ever had because yeah. it's not even that bad of a job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or there was the job this summer that I lasted an entire day. Okay, yeah. Tell us about quitting. that. Um, <laughs> basically, I, while I was shaping an Intertix, I was looking for a job for summer to get my Article 50. I had just gone around like all the hotels, everything in Marhaven. One of the hotels had agreed to give me a job doing dishes in their kitchen. And I didn't have high expectations for the job. I was like, I need a job to get my visa. I need to make some money over summer. Mm-hmm. I can't go to Australia because the border is closed. I, was, I have to be in Austria to not lose like, this residency thing. I just need to grind it out for a couple months, save some money, and then I can do whatever I want next winter. Yeah. So I went in with low expectations. <laughs> I did one day, and they were already expecting me to work two hours overtime that day. They don't pay overtime. It was made very clear. Like, they were like, oh, sometimes you'll work less. And I was like, it's the first day and you've got me to work two hours more. And it's not like it was a crazy busy day. And I was like, this is not a good sign. He's taking the piss on the first day. This isn't going to work. And Clements also called me about this shaping job at Maltella that day. And I was like, I would have given it like a week at the hotel to see if it got any better and Otherwise, and I just went back in the next morning and I was like, is this a wind up? You get me to work two hours overtime on the first day and not going to pay it. And I've got this other really cool opportunity to go like do this awesome thing that's much more in line with my interests and career path and everything like. So yeah, that, that, that lasted long. So I guess that was the worst job. If you can count that as me having a job there. Sounds like it was uh, meant to be that you went off to the glacier and did this much better opportunity anyway um so you mentioned there that uh during your best job that you kind of enjoy being a bit of a mentor and giving back to the snowboard community did you have any mentors in your journey there's two that i'll say which is barry parker who's actually the person that by coincidence taught me how to snowboard that first week at the dry slope he runs real snowboarding in morsine he's also a basie trainer Okay. And like he was there at the start of my journey. He taught me how to snowboard. When I sat my level three instructing qualification, he was there shadowing to become like a, he was already a trainer, but he wasn't doing level three exams. He was there like shadowing for that. He was kind of always like a role model to look forward to. And like when I left school, I kind of was like, I want to be a snowboard instructor. And I was, I kind of always said I wanted to work for myself. So when I was trying to explain to my parents like what I was doing, why I was leaving uni and in their eyes, maybe kind of chucking away opportunities or whatever i was like look look at barry he's doing this he's got his own snowboard school he was kind of like always a path to look at and then the other one who i've already brought up a few times is ben kinnear who does some coaching for the british team he's somebody who's like he's very professional he's very organized and he was the person that was able to sell to my parents what was going on in a way that they we're going to buy into rather than somebody who maybe was really good at their job as well, but just was a bit more like he was able to kind of set out. And whenever I have trouble with like, if I've got a question about a job or also with my own snowboarding, like I don't have my own snowboard coach, Mm -hmm. but if I ever get stuck on tricks, like a lot of people have helped over the years, but Ben is the one who, if somebody films a trick and I'm stuck, I will send it to Ben and I'll be like, Ben, what is going on with this trick? What 
what have I missed? Because I can yeah. look at it and snowball coach myself. But sometimes I miss something and he's just got that wisdom. He's been around the block. He's yeah. really good at networking content. He's just kind of epitomized that, I don't know, professionalism and that you can work in snowboarding, but still be a professional and still do that. So he's somebody I've like, I don't know, looked up to, yeah. but he's also has like helped me out with a lot of things. Yeah, brilliant. During your season air journey, was there ever a time where you didn't know what to do or where to go next? I guess always and never. <laughs> like there's always places I want to go. Yeah. Like, and then... I don't know. Normally I just try and make it happen. Like unless if someone's like, I don't know, ex outrageously expensive, I just don't necessarily justify going there. But like most of the time, like if I want to go somewhere, I'll just kind of make it happen. It was like, yeah. I wanted to go to Australia. I was like, okay, accommodation's expensive. I'll get a van. I'll go check it out. And then it was like, okay, well, there's a nice coaching job there. I'll go there and coach now. Absolute perk. I wanted to try and like, I don't necessarily always super pre-plan, which is not always by choice. It's jobs come up so last minute in the snowboarding world. Most of the jobs I've had, I've got like a call a week before. So it's like a combination of kind of going with the flow, but also just like looking like, well, where would I like to be? How do I make that happen? No, I don't think I'm like ever been super like, oh no, what am I going to do next? Like, it's just kind of. One thing yeah. sort of rolled onto the next. Exactly. Uh, my next question is winter seasons or summer seasons, but I'm pretty sure we've covered that. <laughs> You'd be surprised because I would say summers, like if you, the other question that's on your list is where was your, like when was your best season? Yeah. Ironically, that was a summer season. Oh, okay. So that was like a ladies out. So a snowboarding. Yeah. Summer so season. It's, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, still a snow season. <laughs> a snow season. But that should probably be my question. Snow seasons or sun seasons. But <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, when I read that question, I was like, you're going to think you know the answer. But like Desiree, like one of the female pro snowboarders said this on another podcast. And she was like, summer is my favorite time to snowboard. Ah. And like, I, it really hit a bell with me because I kind of feel the same. It's like when it's warm and it's slushy or even like at the dry slope, it's awesome for learning new tricks because you're just like, you're just, when your body's warm, you're not like intimidated, sunny, friends are there. Like you're just having like a, you're in a happy kind of atmosphere. Whereas mm -hmm. like when it's cold and dark and winter, like it's just, it's not as fun, especially if the snow's icy that. Like, so I, I really like snowboarding in the summer. So yeah. like, oh, spring, late, late spring. That's like the best time to snowboard. <laughs> I like the fact that an actual summer season with no snowboarding doesn't at all enter your mind. Like, what is what? one of those? <laughs> like, whatsoever. <laughs> Never. No. The, the one I've been saying for like five years, that I want to go for like a week or two surfing holiday. Mm -hmm. That's what I would constitute a summer season would be a two week yeah. holiday to go surfing, which I do still want to do. Leading on from that, where was your favorite season and why? So probably the summer, the first year I did in Ladies Up, that like two month season mm -hmm. where we had like seven, eight people in one bedroom. But it was <laughs> awesome. Like we just had like such a good crew the whole yeah. time. The weather was really good. I think it was sunny every day, but two. Yeah. The park was really good. The snow conditions were good. It was just awesome. And I just finished at uni. So it was like, 
I don't know. I think I was like, oh my God, this is what I'm going back to. Yeah, it was really, really good. That was, I think, the most fun in a two month period that I'd had. Would I trade that two months for six months in Marhofen? Probably not. But for two months, that was probably the best two months. Where is your favorite place to snowboard? It depends on what for. There's lots of different things from different places that yeah. I like. I think the funnest place I've ever ridden rails is Perisher, okay. which is where I work in Australia. Overall, Meyerhofen. And that's why this has kind of become my full-time residence. You get like a really long season here. You can ride Hinchtook, Stubai, Cantal, like a few of the glaciers from October. Meyerhofen in winter, it's like good resort to ride powder. They've got a good park with like a really fast chairlift, which for me is a big thing. Like grow up riding dry soap, I got accustomed to getting to ride a lot and like try your trick a lot of times. So I like that. You can hit the same feature a few times, get comfortable. And there's another resort just down the road called Count and Back, which is really good. I don't know. I feel like Meyerhofen pretty much has it all. It has good park, it has good peace, it has good power. It's just a good spot to be. So throughout all your travels, where now feels most like home? I don't know. The word home is kind of a weird one for me. Mm. I suppose my home like now or maybe home in Aberdeen. Maybe the answer is like when the pandemic hit, I went to Scotland. So maybe that's where I felt like home. Yeah. Um, and you were saying that you don't know if this is where you'll be forever. You still feel like a yeah. seasonaire. So yeah, I don't know. But then where have I lived in my adult life the most time? Here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm coming up for almost having lived in my often as long as in Scotland, almost. So ah. it's like... Home away from home. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what do you miss most about Scotland when you're here? I guess my parents. Like, I don't have any siblings, but yeah, mum, dad, granny and stuff. And then, like, as everyone would joke, my second home, the Aberdeen Dry Slope. Every time I go home within 24 hours, I am there. All my friends back home work there or, yeah, very fond memories of that place. So I guess my parents on the dry slope. Yeah. I think that I think that's it. That's fair enough. We've had answers like crisps and biscuits before. So. No, but that makes more sense. You're like, oh, I miss my, I miss like Cadbury's Terry's or like Terry's chocolate oranges or something like. But uh, yeah, I think those two things. It's people. Yeah. It's people. <laughs> Can you tell us about a challenge or difficulty you faced and what you learned from it? Yeah, so get, getting injured, mm. occupational hazard of being a snowboarder who <laughs> rides in the park. I don't necessarily know what I learned from it. I guess I've become better at dealing with it because it's a lot of patience when you're injured. You've got to wait till you get better and I'm not a very patient person. So I suppose I probably have learned something from it. What's the learning? I guess don't snowboard, but that's not happening. Perhaps it's to make sure you're insured. <laughs> yeah, that that's not a le- lesson I've had to learn the hard way myself. Like I was lucky, like the first couple of seasons, my parents sorted that out for me. Yeah, and I've since watched people. I've like sat and held people's arms in place who are waiting for helicopters to arrive who don't have insurance, and that's one thing. Like. And I don't spend a lot of money, but one thing I will always spend is insurance. If I can give people advice, get insurance. Make sure it doesn't exclude the park or doing tricks in the park. Because you get ones that say park insurance and they exclude doing a trick in the park and make sure it covers off-piste. What's one thing you wish you had known before doing your first season? 
I don't necessarily know if I would. <laughs> like, I feel like doing a season's kind of a bit of an adventure. Like, Rolly spoke about this on his one a lot. That, like, you just kind of go with the flow. Yeah, there's certain things that would have been maybe a little bit more helpful. Like, if I know specifically exactly where I could have found accommodation or something, it would have saved me a bit of a hassle. But I feel like that was doing seasons, was becoming an adult and figuring out, like, I need to find somewhere to live. Yeah, it's all part of it. Whatever. And I know I haven't had any really major disasters, I don't think, that it's like, I wish I'd known that mm-hmm. your insurance doesn't cover you off beast or something. So I feel like everything I've just kind of worked out. And if I'd known before, then it wouldn't have been an adventure. Yeah. Um, so in your opinion, what is the best thing about being a seasonal or seasonal life in general? I guess the freedom of it. For me, it's snowboarding I'm passionate about. So this has been an avenue to be a snowboarder. If I could live in one country the whole time, not have to get a different job every X months and stress about someone live and could do the job I wanted and go snowboarding every day, I would, without a doubt, I, would, I wouldn't do seasons. Yeah, It's frustrating not being able to plan your life, but it's also really cool that people call you up. Can you come to Maltala next week? You never really know. And there's just like, do you want to come do this? That sounds awesome. Let's go. And that's something that I think being a season A, you get, which you wouldn't get if you like had a normal boring job in a city. Yeah, it does bring with it quite a lot of opportunities a lot of the time. Um, and speaking of those, are there any opportunities or unlikely experiences that spring to mind that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't gone and done your first season? Like everyone else said to this question, all of them, like (laughs) none of anything I've done since I was 17, I've done seasons. So I wouldn't have done any of the things I've done. I wouldn't have gone to Ukraine for a rail competition. I wouldn't have gone to Australia to do my dream job. I wouldn't have got to snowboard every day, like the year, like I wouldn't have done any of these things. I wouldn't have met any of the people I know. Like I wouldn't have met any of my friends. I wouldn't have. I feel like the answer to that question, we all say the same to an extent, say the same thing, like everything. Yeah. And I think that's maybe the light bulb that people who are thinking about doing a season need to think, hang on, all these people, their entire life has been down to them choosing to take that plunge. And if you're looking for a reason to take the plunge, that's it. Yeah. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? I would go back and tell myself when I was at school Mm -hmm. to take German instead of Spanish. Uh, Because it was both in Singapore and then in Scotland, I twice got a subject choice. And French was always going to be on there because I already spoke French and it was a subject I didn't have to study for that I'd get an A. So it was more time to study my other subjects or go snowboard or whatever. And I don't regret that. But... I took Spanish as well because I liked doing languages at school mm-hmm. and I didn't do German. I'm still struggling with getting started with German. And like on my first season, I'd had some basics. By now, I'd probably speak German. Whereas having had nothing when I started, like I didn't even know how to say hello when I got here. The first few years, I really didn't get anywhere. And that's also on me for not making an effort. Everyone speaks English here in winter. But yeah, I wish I'd learned German at school. Mm-hmm. So on the topic of advice, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? And what's the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Best piece of advice, I guess, to just go and try things and take chances. I feel like you can sit and worry about the 
what could go wrong or whatever. And I feel like, I don't know if it's necessarily that one particular person sat down and told me that, but doing seasons, I've been spent more time around people who are like, yeah, let's give it a try. Let's see if it works. I think being a bit more like that is definitely good. Bad advice, I don't think I've actually had. I don't think I've ever had anybody come and give me advice and I've been, that was terrible. Like, my parents maybe were trying to persuade me to go to uni, as it turned out, wasn't necessarily the right call. But in some ways, I'm glad I went to know that I don't want to go. Yeah, exactly. Do you have any quotes or sayings that you live by? If at first you don't succeed, always try try again. My mom always used to say it, but it's valid. Just like if you don't get the job, apply again. That headstroke shaping job got told no. Then I got offered the job. Then they said no. And then I heard somebody was quitting because I had a friend working there. And now I called the guy again, like, can I come work here? And yeah. That's how you get things done. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do you have any books, movies or publications, anything like that, that you can recommend to our listeners that might have helped you along in your path? Not too much. I would, from a snowboarding point of view, like watch a lot of snowboard videos. One of my like guilty pleasures is to find old videos mm-hmm. of people who are really good. Oh, okay. Like pro snowboarders videos from when they were like 14 and sucked. I like find that fun. Like I'll go search the depths of YouTube. It's good because you can see, well, they came from that and you can, they're not that different. Then you can see them as somebody that is to aspire to be like rather than to put on a crazy pedestal. Yeah, nice. Can you tell us something that's inspired you recently? Very recently, I watched Anna's new movie. Okay. The, the Spark Within. The premiere was two days ago. And Anna's somebody who, before I saw her movie, is was inspiring me. She's got a really cool attitude. She, in Malta the summer, it would be raining. And she'd be riding for like five hours, wet through to the skin. Wow. In the rain. And she can snowboard wherever she wants, whenever she wants. She's a pretty big deal. She still just wants to go snowboarding in the rain to get better because that's fun. Yeah. I think that's really inspiring. And then like seeing her movie that kind of talked about like how she got to where she is. Very inspiring person. (laughs) Yeah. What's the movie called? The Spark Within or A Spark Within? I think it's The Spark Within. Cool. What's one myth about season air life that you would like to debunk? I feel like everyone assumes that because you're on a season, you have to go party and get drunk all the time. Mm -hmm. And people are like, oh, you're so boring. You're not coming to the bar tonight. But then you're missing out on the morning. Did you get like a lot of backlash over the years for not being into drinking and partying? I don't know if backlash is the right word. I've definitely had a lot of like, I never really cared if people were like, oh, why are you not coming to the bar? Yeah. But what I do have is friends of mine, it'll be somebody's birthday. And they'll be like, oh, do you not like me that you're not coming? And that for me is always harder to deal with. And I always try and explain like it's nothing personal. Like I don't want to go. You live in a season town. Somebody's going to have their birthday twice a week. It'll be somebody's birthday. Yeah. And I'm like, if every time it's somebody I like's birthday, I'd be out twice a week. I don't want to be out twice a week. I want to be out once or twice a season. And then I do enjoy it when I go out. So yeah, I feel like everyone assumes that because you're on a season, you have to be like drunk the whole time, hung over every time you're snowboarding. And like, you don't have to do that just because you live in a ski resort. Yeah. So now I have to ask you my mom's favorite question. What's one thing that you take everywhere with you or do you have any travel hacks? I always bring a pillow. Do you? I like, I don't really care where I sleep. I sleep on the floor. If I don't have a pillow, I 
than like I'm getting a night's sleep. Yeah. Like I'd rather sleep in my car with my pillow and at my duvet than in a normal hotel bed. Ah, okay. Travel hacks. Ski resorts have toilets. Toilets have everything you need if you're living in your car or a van. They have power normally to charge your phone. They normally have a hand dryer. If you dry your boots the night before, before they freeze in the car or overnight. Yeah. That's amazing. Resort toilets. Lifesaver of the Jippo life, as we call it. (laughs) So you would go and dry your boots at the end of the day. So that they were not wet the next day. Yeah. Yeah, like a lot of people heat them up in the morning. And sometimes I'll if they hadn't really dried you'd do it but like if you dry them the night before they don't freeze to like leather that you can't get your foot in very good if someone was planning to only do one season they only had like a limited amount of money so they could only do one where would you advise them to go i would probably advise them to go where they knew people Mm -hmm. seasons you always meet people and you always are gonna There's always like a community. But if you go somewhere where you have two or three friends to start with, it just makes it so much easier. If you, for example, if you're leaving school and you've already got some people you know from your hometown that have done a couple seasons, as long as that that resort has got some good pal and some park or whatever you're interested in, Mm -hmm. as long as the resort's going to tick those boxes or if it's got like party life, if that's what you're looking for, as long as it's got what you want, which one doesn't really matter. Yeah. But having those first few connections will make your life so much easier. What was the biggest lesson learned from living and working abroad? Be careful what you put on your social media. Because mm-hmm. I know like a lot of people that they'll just like, they'll be at work or whatever and they'll be doing something. And it's not even something that's really bad, but it's something they're maybe not meant to be doing. They put it all over Instagram and it's like everybody has you on Instagram, or like if you're a snowboard coach like me, all the kids I coach and all their parents all follow me on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Don't go post some stupidity in the bar or whatever that's like you doing something you're just not supposed to do because people find out and it always kicks you in the butt. Yeah, yeah. Just think about what you're putting on the World Wide Web. Yeah, sure. If you hadn't have gone and done your first season, what do you think you'd be doing now? I don't know. Am I allowed to say that I still have ended up going and living abroad doing something? Because I feel like even if I'd gone to uni, hadn't decided to go be a snowboard coach, I feel like I would have probably done something to do a business. I probably would have tried to work for myself. And I feel like inevitably I'd probably have ended up on this path anyway. Yeah, somehow kind of finding myself into a sort of expat life anyway. Yeah. So... Is there anyone you'd like to nominate to come on the show and have a chat with me? Uh, yeah, well, I brought some of them up as we went on. Do you know what I forgot? Hang on. We'll do the Instagram questions first because a few people did write to me. Oh, this is going to be good. Okay, so two questions from underscore Topic. Do you know who that is? Yeah, yeah. Who is it? Um, Malcolm McLean. He's one of the, he's at the officially multimedia Malcolm. He works for Why Ain't You, one of the coaching camps here. Okay, and cool. And he's like always coaching and he used to work at Aberdeen Dry Slope for a bit. He's really nice. He always felt like if he's there filming on the knuckle for the kids, it always films for me. Um, right. So he said, if I knuckle, should I go faster? Yes. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> so the knuckle of a snowboard jump is the area from like, you've got a jump, normally there's a flat you have to clear and then it, the bit you want to land on is downhill. 
Their knuckle, if you kind of make that landing shape with your hand, the knuckle would be there where it's going from flat to down. That would be my knuckle right now. Mm -hmm. I'm currently doing a little demo for Gina. (laughs) I'll take a picture. The knuckle. Okay. (laughs) So normally if you knuckle, you've gone too slow. So I think that is a sarcastic joke. Obviously, you need to go faster if you knuckle. (laughs) Awesome. And he also said, how did riding with Rob Wilkinson influence your rail wizardry? Okay, so Rob's one of my good friends. I met him at the Dry Soap in Yeah, you've mentioned Scotland. him a couple yeah, of times. Yeah. He's a skier. We haven't talked about that. And he actually <laughs> used to look a little bit like me. We used to both have long ginger hair and people used to think we were the same person or people think we're brothers. This has happened a couple times. <laughs> because on skis, they do like more technical rail tricks because they can like use their feet to push against the side. Me and Rob used to like skate or like kind of give each other tricks to do. And I got kind of pushed into doing tricks that are more conventionally skiing tricks rather than snowboarding tricks okay and that's kind of how that's the second part of you were talking before this interview started to me about why my instagram handle is stew Hines switch up yes tell um, us about so that. the switch up part comes from this so i do a lot of what are called switch ups where you change on the rail and you change from one position to another which mm-hmm. the skiers do a lot and that's largely thanks to rob <laughs> <laughs> next question is from snowmas Do you prefer wheelies or skids? Okay, so I think we'll go wheelies. (laughs) I don't really know where this joke started from, though, because when I started my YouTube channel and I was taking requests for trick tips to do on my Instagram story, it's like a poll, and Marius was every time, do a skid, show us how to do a skid, show us how to do a wheelie. Those, to me, are like biking tricks, and I'm like a bit confused, and I was like, you mean like a tail press, or you mean like... A turn. Murray's a really good snowboarder, so I feel like he's just taking the mickey with the terminology. <laughs> and I, I don't really understand where it started, but I knew as soon as I, you read out his Instagram name, I was like, it's going to be like, teach us how to do a skid or something. <laughs> um, so you started a YouTube channel. Tell us a little bit about that. So during the first pandemic, I was kind of bored and wanted to interact with snowboarding while stuck at my parents' house in Scotland all summer. I don't know. I like teaching snowboarding. And mm-hmm. on YouTube, I, when I started, benefited from a lot of trick tips. But there's not a lot of higher level good trick tips on YouTube. There's a lot of videos of how to do a 360 and stuff, but there's not high level, especially rail tricks. So I was like, I'm going to make some. And either some friends will watch them and maybe learn from them, or maybe it'll take off and I can use it as like an avenue to do more kind of coaching kind of online almost. Um, I also, the 2016-17, so my second season after uni, me and Rob were traveling about in my car for a while Mm -hmm. and we started this little vlog called Timsa, which was the incredible magic spoon adventure. (laughs) The name came from the back of a Frosties packet that was like the only food we had in the car. And (laughs) I did two episodes and again during Corona, I was kind of looking back nostalgically on this. Last year we started it again. There was, we did like another six episodes and basically Timsa is me and Rob doing dumb stuff. So the YouTube channel has some vlogs and a few actual snowboard edits and some trick tips. And the next question is from Super Radness. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so super radness is james sweet he's one of the basie trainers he was out here in hinchticks last week with the gb paralympic guys oh cool um he says is it true you're giving up rails for banked slalom 
No. <laughs> so yeah, last week I poached their bank slalom course and it was pretty funny. <laughs> How did that go? It was fun. Oh, cool. Uh, I, I like all kinds of snowboarding. Like, I'm like a rail kid and now I jump a lot, but I love riding power and I do like doing turns. Early on doing seasons, I started doing these snowboard instructor courses. Mm-hmm. That definitely gave me an appreciation for like good carving and like good technique and turns. And there's not really much. If I've got a snowboard strapped into my feet, I'm unlikely to be unhappy. It certainly sounds that way from from the rest of the interview. Yeah, I, were you were you warned about this before I came on from anyone I know? But I'm yes, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was warned that you like to talk. This is like my ideal guest. <laughs> but yeah, they also said you're snowboarding mad. So yeah, uh, Sylvia Mittermuller. Yeah, she has said, "What would you have become without snowboarding?" I have no idea. This is what you said. I know, like, I used to play ice hockey, and I was kind of almost how I am about snowboarding with ice hockey. Like, I feel like I'm quite an intense person. If I'm into something, I'm really into it. So yeah. I don't know what it would have been, but whatever it was, I would be exactly how I am about snowboarding with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's all of those questions. Sweet. That was quite a lot. That's probably the most questions I've had for anyone. Um, anyway, back on track. Is there anyone that you would like to nominate to come and have a chat with me? I've mentioned quite a few of these already throughout the podcast. Ben Kinnear, who does some of the coaching for like the British team now, he worked with Basie. He's just an interesting example of what you can do with snowboarding and like career pathway. Mm-hmm. Barry Parker, because again, he's done, been there, made it. He's like grown up snowboarding, like got his own ski school, done a lot of seasons. I'm sure he has a lot of good stories from <laughs> funny stuff. Cool. Joe and Jake Simpson, who used to live within Ladies Alp, they are an interesting story. Their parents are seasoners. Oh, wow. Jake moved to Morzine when he was 15, mm-hmm. and they are now both pro snowboarders. Oh, I think wow. I think we can call them pro snowboarders now officially. They like they make their own snowboard movies. They travel around, film street stuff, and yeah, they, they'd be definitely interesting, and you could get them on together. Yeah, that'd be wicked. Yako Boss, who I haven't mentioned yet, I don't think, He's now the slash team manager. He's been one of my friends for ages. I met him at some snowboard event. I had no food. He gave me food. We became friends. He's done so many different things in the snowboard industry, including a lot of event organization. Actually, I did mention him to the Rock Around. You did. Um, <laughs> so he's a filmer, really good rider, and he's just done a lot of different things in the snowboard industry. Mm-hmm. I think would be definitely an interesting point of view. Awesome. Um, <laughs> and I've got a random one who we haven't mentioned, Mike McKernan. Mike is actually from Aberdeen, where I am in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Me and Mike met in Hinchtooks. He used to shape there before I did. He now lives in Norway. Mike builds snow parks. All right. He's starting his own business as a park builder, not just shaping and driving yeah. the bully now. Mike is very opinionated about the snow parks he rides he's a perfectionist and anything that's not up to his level will know about it but he's hilarious and like i don't like people complaining about things but when mike complains about things it's hilarious like it's just funny and he's again it's just another job in the snow sports industry that i think is really interesting is yeah he'll tell you all about shaping and exactly how to build a feature and lastly john weatherly uh, from the baby trap who does so much for the UK snowboard scene. Mm-hmm. 
used to do seasons in the US. He's done a lot of street filming. Now he runs like coaching thing based out of the UK. He's like the only person I know who I would call like a full-time snowboard bum or whatever who lives in the UK. Mm-hmm. But he snowboards more than most of the season has, I know. Oh, really? Like, and he goes travels around all the different domes doing like coaching stuff, putting on events. He's, and he's really entertaining. One of the funniest people I know. Ah, cool. So, yeah. Do you have one parting piece of advice for anyone thinking about or about to go on their first season? I think just figure out what you want out of your season. And from there you can start. I actually did, when I did my YouTube channel, Mm -hmm. I did like a talk topic about a few things. And one of them was snowboard seasons. If you work out why you want to do a season, you can work out what your like goals are and stuff. You can then find a job that's going to allow you to meet those goals and then plan around that. And then from there, you can work out what your accommodation options are because some jobs come with a gum, some don't. You can work out where, you, where you're going to even do your season based on what you want from it. So yeah, I guess that would be that's my advice. Great advice, yeah. So what's next for you, Stu? I guess we're going to see a little bit with what happens with the corona pandemic at the moment i'm based in my and i'll be here this season i'm hoping to film some street stuff maybe do a little trip but also i've got some friends coming out here to film with hopefully fingers crossed i would like to go back to my dream job in australia this summer that is covid dependent and hopefully they haven't given my job away in the two years that i've not been there long term i am hoping to set up my own freestyle snowboard coaching program here in austria i think the technicalities of getting my licenses approved by the austrians to be a freelancer are Mm -hmm. proving quite complicated but it looks like if i can work on my german a bit i can do a course and get them moved over so it's probably a couple years down the line i've still got some personal goals within snowboarding that i want to achieve while my body is able to hit the floor 20 times a day and get back up so (laughs) the long term there short term lots of snowboarding awesome thank you very much for coming on the show is there anything that you want to promote or anything that you want to tell our listeners about everyone who knows me knows i like talking about myself and about snowboarding so i had a great (laughs) time and it's been nice to finally meet you because we've both lived in Marhoff for like six years and we've seen each other and somehow we don't know each other. <laughs> yeah, really weird. But um, yeah, it's so good to finally meet you. And it has been an absolute pleasure. It's been really, really fun. So where can our listeners find you? My Instagram is stew, S-T-U underscore Heinz, spelled like the ketchup, <laughs> underscore again, switch up. Or if you just type in Stuart Ennis, it'll come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and YouTube is just Stuart Ennis. Um, if you want some tips or you want to watch me and Rob do dumb stuff. A little birdie told me Rob might be coming back for a couple of months, so there might be some more tips episodes. <laughs> and then, yeah, just thank you to my parents. I've kind of bagged them out on here. It's like, oh, you have to do this and stuff. But in all seriousness, my parents are really supportive. They always help me research things with how to do courses and help me to work out what I wanted to do within snowboarding. Mm-hmm. So yeah, huge shout out to mum and dad, huge shout out to all my snowboard sponsors who we've mentioned already. Also just a huge shout out to everyone who's kind of ever taken time out of their day to help me. There's so many people who've stopped and towed me into a rail or 
give me advice on Instagram about how to do a trick or give me a lift to the mountain because I often don't have a car. And like, thank you to all of those people because you're all heroes. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Stu. Like I said, this has been awesome. It's been great to finally meet you. And hopefully you'll be able to come back again in the future and we'll have a catch up on what you've been doing next. So yeah, thank you. Perfect. Thank you, Gina. <laughs> Fantastic to finally meet Stu. Thanks again, Stu Innes, for coming on the show today. And a big thank you to Teresa Cullen in episode seven for nominating him. If you'd like to know more about the guests that come on the show, head to the show notes now where you'll find a link to our website, which has loads of information about all the different things that they do, lots of videos and pictures. So head to the website, thatseasonairpodcast.com. Don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram for all the latest information and click subscribe on your favourite podcast player to get all new releases as they come out. Once again, a big thank you to Mike at Mike Sports Bar for the studio space. Thank you to Mondo Wave for the music and thanks to you guys for tuning in. See you all again next time. I feel like I'm talking a lot and you're not talking. That's, it's an interview <laughs> it, podcast, yeah. so that's sort of how it's supposed to be. <laughs> Good. <laughs>